Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. Amen. Amen. All right, y'all go ahead and have a seat. Whew. I um, am crying. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but just seeing, seeing young people demonstrate that they are choosing to follow God is like, it's the most powerful, most beautiful thing ever. I, I always am moved by baptisms and I kind of feel like I don't even need to preach because their testimonies really did exactly what we needed to hear today. Well, um, even still, I'm going to preach. So if that's okay with you, here we go. Um, We've been talking a lot about wisdom and folly, and we've been looking at Solomon as kind of our case study. And Solomon, we talked about last week, was the wisest man ever, and he asked God for wisdom, and God gave it to him generously. And we looked at last last week, some of the things, some of the things, the pitfalls of folly for Solomon was that he caved into the culture. And when we cave into the culture, man, it will destroy you. We saw that it wrecked Solomon's life. We reap what we sow. So if we sow sparingly, we're going to reap sparingly. If we sow a lot, then we're going to see God move tenfold with whatever we put before him. And we also looked at the fact that prominence for Solomon, he may have been the king, but that didn't equal success. And we talked about how, um, For me specifically, I have a really hard time with people-pleasing, and I misquoted this verse, so I wanted to say it to you this time. In Galatians 1.10, it says, For am I now seeking the favor of people or of God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. And we, like Solomon, we're going to look. He, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's kind of the summary of what he was trying to do through his whole life. So he, he decided, okay, I want to find pleasure. Like, I've got this wisdom. Let's see if it actually plays out. So Solomon attempted to find joy and find pleasure in all these different things. And isn't that what we do? Like, we as humans, we want to be joyful, right? Who wants to be joyful here today, right? You want to be filled with joy. You want to see your life transformed. You want to see it be awesome. Um, and here's what Solomon looked at. He looked at knowledge. He tried to look at these external things. He, he tried to find joy through knowledge. He tried to find joy through pleasure, through laughter and drinking, through homes and vineyards and entertainment and things. Then he looked at anything that he wanted and he was going to get it for himself. And he looked even at skill. This is all throughout Ecclesiastes. And then in Ecclesiastes 3, he looks at corruption and then justice. Does that give me joy to see justice occur? And then he looked at hoarding, like I'm going to just take it all for myself. And and that'll be enough, right? And political power. I mean, he was the king. Like you would think if you had all of this authority, like you would feel empowered and joyful, right? But here's what Solomon keeps coming to. After he attempts to find joy in all of these different things, it boils down in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. And it says... A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, here's why, I see is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? 
To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering. So I think I have a different version up there, and I'm sorry because I read the wrong one. But it says, so I decided that there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. And then I realized that this pleasure... This pleasure, it's actually from the hand of God for who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him. Here's why. God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. Who wants more joy? I want some more joy, right? God gives joy and wisdom and knowledge to those who please him. So Solomon realizes in all of your getting Golly, just enjoy life because God is the one who goes before you and everything that you have is from God himself. Um, John MacArthur is a theologian and he says, in kind of summarizing the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon's conclusion to fear God and keep his commands, it's more than just the book's summary. It's the only hope of a good life and the only reasonable response of faith and obedience to sovereign God. The Westminster Catechism puts it like this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Look at that. Like the chief end of man, your job is to glorify God and then to enjoy him. Like that's your job. That's the joy that you, it, that you get to walk in. So today, our bottom line, and we're going to dive into Ecclesiastes chapter 5, is the key to enjoying life more is actually enjoying God the most. So here we go. We're going to dive in. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. This is where it all switches for Solomon. It, he, the first four chapters are all going through all of those things that he tried to find joy in, he tried to find satisfaction in, but here's what he goes into instead. So it says in verse 1, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know they do wrong. Don't be quick with your mouth. Don't be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. So one of the keys to enjoying God is we need to start with awe. That's your point number one. We need to start with awe. Solomon warns us, don't be hasty. Don't just jump in and try and dive into his presence and like, okay, God, here's everything that I need and here's what we're going to do. It, this, this idea reminds me of how many of you have seen the movie Sound of Music? It's an older one, so maybe not a lot of people have seen it. But it's about this woman named Maria, and she is trying to become a nun, but she's really not good at it. So, so she's out in the fields, and that's where she's singing, the hills are alive with the sound of music. Okay, so she's running through the hills, right? And then all of a sudden, she hears the bell, and it's time to go to service. It's time to, like, be a good nun. And she runs in, and she washes her face really quick, and then there's three other nuns standing there, and they're like, what in the world? Okay, and then she runs more and like goes and gets ready. And what are the nuns singing right after that? How do we solve a problem like Maria? Okay, because they know when you enter into the presence of God, there should be a stillness before you, right? There should be a peace. If you were to walk whether or not you like our president or presidents in the past, if you were to stand in front of a president, there would probably be a quietness on your mouth. 
There would probably be a guardedness in your stature because you are showing honor to the position of authority, right? Um, We need to show honor to the position of authority. We need to start with awe of who our God is. We need to consider who we're talking to. That word, when it says God, is actually the same word from Genesis 1.1, Elohim. He is God on high. It says that God created the heavens and the earth. When you come to talk to God, you're talking to the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is holy other than us. We could not even begin to comprehend how amazing he is. Guys, I just recently went to California for the first time, and I had never been in front of the ocean. And I stepped in front of the ocean, and I just, like, whoa. I mean, a stillness washed over me, a reverence for the power of this giant body of water. The fact that, cognizantly, I know that there's another country on the other side of this water. I can't see it. I can't see any body of land beyond this, but it's huge and it keeps going and it keeps moving. There was an awe in me for a body of water. God created that body of water and he is beyond. And there's something when we stop and we look at God's creation, we begin to see like everything else sets back in line. I was so, I mean, like there was so much tumultuousness in my heart when I was standing before the waves. But as I stood there, I was like, okay, God, I am really small and all of my anxiety about the things that are going on in my life, man, they are, they're like tiny. I'm just one person in your entire history. And I know that like my stuff is still super important to you and my stuff is still, it's still super important to me. But in the grand scheme of things, the waves go out and they come back in. And God, you remain the same. The waves may shift, but you are always here. Then we need to listen. Remember it said, let my words be few. Let your words be few. That word means met, That's like the Hebrew word for it. And it's literally few, little, small. When you come before the creator of the heavens and the earth, don't blabber. Don't just run your mouth off. He is God. Slow down and contemplate how huge he is. And let your words be few when you step into his presence. So we start with awe. Now, hold on. I'm going to caveat that for just a second. We have not only the king of the universe that we speak to, but he also says that we're his friend. And so he wants to hear everything. So don't feel like by me saying, let your words be few, that you can't say anything to God and you need to keep your mouth shut. But I want to, like, let's shift our understanding and have a reverential understanding of who God is when we come into his presence. Don't just blabber off to him, but slow down and listen. So point number one, we start with awe. We recognize God is the creator of the whole universe. And then we slow down and ask. In Ecclesiastes 5.3, it continues and it says, As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. And the the commentary for that text, because that seems a little confusing, right? It says, in context, it suggests that in the midst of cares, so in the midst of trials, in the midst of troubles, in the midst of stuff, one actually dreams of bliss and then might actually offer rash vows 
to get to that bliss. So think of like a starving person who dreams of a big buffet. They're going to make a promise before they even get to that buffet. Like, I promise I'm going to change all of this. Maybe, maybe it's, God, I promise I'll get up and have a quiet time and actually spend time in your presence if you just make my kids sleep, okay? Maybe it's, I promise to stop watching porn if you just give me my significant other. Ooh. What about, I promise I'll start tithing if you just give me that job promotion. I mean, you give me a little more money and then I'll start being obedient. No, guys, we need to stop making crazy promises. We try and bring all of this work to God and we, we want to give him our gifts so we feel like we can earn some kind of favor. And here's the thing. Sometimes blessings are contingent upon obedience, right? Sometimes there's God is waiting to give you something until you obey, but you are loved. God's favor is over you because of Jesus, not because of anything that you can do, not because of any vow that you try and bring him. The key to enjoying life more is enjoying God and being with him. So it said many words. Are you guilty of this? Are you guilty of just rattling off your mouth? In Proverbs 17, verses 27 and 28, it says, a man of knowledge uses words with restraint. A man of knowledge uses words with restraint. And a man of understanding is even tempered. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. When you are tempted to just blabber it all out and make crazy promises, the Bible says, hold your tongue. Even if you are a fool, you're going to be thought wise. And then in Matthew 5, through 37, it says, and don't say anything you don't mean. This counsel's embedded deep in our traditions. You only make things worse when you lay down a smokescreen of pious talk saying, I'll pray for you and never doing it. Or God be with you and not actually meaning it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. In making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. So just say yes and no. When you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. Have you ever tried to manipulate God with your words? God, if you just do this, then, then I'll do it. That's what we do. I mean, have you ever had a kid... Um, Mom, I, I promise um, I will clean my room if you just give me a cookie. How about you clean your room first? <laughs> and, then, and then maybe I'll give you a cookie. But we do that with, with God. A lot of times we make these rash vows. Consider who you're talking to. Now, if you are determined to make a vow, if you are telling God, okay, I'm going to stop smoking on this day, or I'm going to only be on TikTok for 45 minutes a day, and that's it, okay? If you're going to make that vow, it says in verses 4 through 6a, when you make a vow to God, don't delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It's better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. This is crazy. Don't let your mouth lead you into sin. Don't let your mouth lead you into sin. Now, can I tell you a little bit about a vow that I made to God? So last summer, you know, we were still in the middle of like super COVID quarantine and my kids were going to a Christian school and I was working part-time at that Christian school and we kind of determined, okay, with all of the unknown, I'm going to bring my kids home. I'm going to actually homeschool them, not kind of like do the online e-learning thing, but I'm literally going to homeschool them. And my husband the head of my household, the one who listens to the Lord for our whole family, and I listen to the Lord too, but like there's an authority over him. He told me, if you are going to homeschool, you need to stop working. And I was like, okay, 
all right, I'll stop working. Yes, I, I will obey. I take my vow. I will obey. I didn't stop working. And then in August, I was here for the Global Leadership Summit, and one of the preachers talked about a pace of grace. It was Pastor Mike Todd. And in that moment, I was hearing the Lord say, Erica, you are not walking in a pace of grace. You made a vow that you were going to quit your job. You need to fulfill your vow. And so I texted a couple of friends, and I said, guys, it's not if anymore, it's when. But I continued to not fulfill my vow. And then in February, (laughs) I was, okay, summer, February, like nine months later, I'm leading the large group study of emotionally healthy spirituality. And here I am still not obeying my vow to the Lord. And we're reading the story of Saul. And God sent Saul in uh, 1 Samuel like 12 through 15. He sends him into this country and he says, Saul, listen, I need you to wipe out this entire nation. Like wipe it out. There should be nothing left. And Saul's like, okay, here we go. Samuel, the prophet rolls up after the battle is done and he hears rams and he hears sheep. He's like, okay, I can't find Saul anywhere. Hey, guy from the army, where is Saul? What is he doing? And the guy replies, he's building a monument to himself because he did such a great job. And so Samuel goes up to him and he goes, Saul, what is this bleeding of rams that I hear? Oh, man. And Saul, or Samuel says to Saul, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings? Saul decided like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna keep the king alive and I'm gonna keep the best rams and the fattest of the livestock and I'm gonna sacrifice them to God because I think that's gonna be great. No, God had told him exactly what to do. And it says, Samuel told him, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as just in what? Obeying the voice of the Lord. Obeying the voice of the Lord. To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion, because you didn't do what I asked, rebellion is like the sin of divination. It's like actually asking Satan what you he what he should he thinks you should do. And arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. Here's what's crazy. He, what, what Samuel said next. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. There is a risk with our obedience. If we don't obey, it's clearly laid out. There's going to be things that God will take away from you if you don't walk in obedience to what he says. Now, you may say, well, it's not fair. I don't have all the facts, God. I don't know what I should do next. Well, here's the thing. You don't need to know all the things. God knows all the things, and if he said do it, you need to do it. There are serious consequences for disobedience. I want to ask you, where are you maybe already hearing the voice of the Lord to do something? And like me, you've said, okay, God, I'll do that. Yep. But you're totally putting it on the back burner, completely ignoring so much of what God already wants you to obey is clearly lined out in scripture. There is just right living. There is a obeying God's general commands for you. But sometimes like Pastor Lena's talked about a few weeks ago, there's a rhema word. As you're reading scripture, sometimes there's something that God pops into your spirit and you go, oh yeah, I need to do that. But if we don't obey, guys, there are serious consequences on the other side of our disobedience. Now again, 
God already loves you, and you already have his favor and approval because of Jesus. There's nothing that you have to do to get him to love you and pour his favor on you, but there will be more blessing and more enjoyment of life when we love God more. Because why? The key to enjoying life more is enjoying God the most. So what do we do? We start with awe. We consider who we're before, who we're speaking to. We slow down and ask, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Instead of me just making my own plans and telling you what I'm going to do, what do you want from me? And then we stop only dreaming and we act. We put our feet to the ground. In Ecclesiastes 5-7, it says, dreaming all the time instead of working is foolishness. And there is ruin in a flood of empty words. Fear God instead. You know what to do. Just do it. Um, a few months ago, I, I guess this is actually back um, in March, I, I was feeling like, okay, God, I know that you've put this uh, hunger in me and this passion in me to write. And so um, I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to uh, hire my friend Melissa, who's here and she does amazing work, to build a website for me. And so she built this website for me and that felt like a really big step of faith. But guys, I haven't posted anything on the website. I'm still in this dreaming mode and I'm kind of like stopped by indecision and God is saying to me like, hey, stop dreaming about it. I told you to do it. Do it. Get your feet out there. Move. Move forward. In the NIV version, it says, much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, stand in awe of God. Dreaming in itself isn't bad. It's actually God has given you the ability to dream and to see and have visions for what the future could hold. But don't just dream. Don't stop there. Move forward. Put your foot to the work. Dreaming alone won't accomplish anything. But dreams accompanied by the direction of the Holy Spirit, they will accomplish much. So what do we do? We start with awe. We slow down and ask. We stop only dreaming and we begin to act and you may say, hey, Erica, um, I don't like this obedience thing. It's, it's kind of anti-American. Like, I'm going to do me. I'm going to do what I want to do right. We don't like to obey. Here's the thing. Obedience for a Christian is not shackles. It's freedom. When you have a dog, you don't just let your dog out the door to go wherever he wants. What do you do? You either have a leash or you have a gate or you have an invisible fence. Because why? Because you know that there's cars that run down the road that would likely kill your dog. Obedience isn't keeping your dog in a crate. No, obedience is like allowing them the freedom in the backyard. Guys, God has given us this framework. He's given us these tools for right living, not because he wants to limit you, but because he wants to see you move forward into all of the things that he has for you. There is great freedom in our obedience. Don't limit God and stay stuck in your crate like a puppy dog. Move out. Trust him. Start to act. Obedience is better. Let's not wait to be convinced of that. Let's like move forward with what God has told us to do. So my question is, what are you not already obeying? What has God already said that you're ignoring or putting off and waiting for the perfect time? Guys, there will never be a perfect time in our minds. So if God has said it, do it. Okay? You guys say that? God has said it, just do it. 
There we go. So the key to enjoying life more altogether, guys, is enjoying God the most. It's, it's worshiping him and standing in awe. It's asking what does he want for your life, and then it's doing what he's already said. Do you remember that again in the very beginning? Ecclesiastes 2.24. I realize that all this pleasure is actually from the hand of God. It's already from him. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. You guys want to pray with me? God, we thank you that you have someone like Solomon who set the example of trying to find joy in so many different things only to return to the fact that only joy can come from you. So God, I pray that as we walk through our days, Lord, that we would choose to enjoy your presence. We would choose to fix our eyes on who you are. We would stand in awe of the creator of the universe that we would stop trying to manipulate life and do things our own way, but we would actually ask what you would have for us. And God, then we would be obedient and walk in the freedom that you've given us and we would begin to act on the things that you've already told us. God, we want to enjoy life and we really want to enjoy you the most. Help us to enjoy your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button and take a screenshot and then share it on social media or your social stories. Hey, whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Thanks for listening.